0: Secrets of Leadership podcast. I'm Adam Cubbage, and I train and develop others to lead, develop, and achieve at every level. I'm a combat veteran, family man, and I am Iron Man.
1: I'm Tracy Winter, and I coach neurodivergent professionals. I'm a former professional dancer. I'm a PhD in human development, and I need a nap.
0: We are here to demystify the secrets of leadership and to clear the smoke obscuring the art and science of leadership so that you can be successful. We'll give you the why, how, and what of relevant leadership principles. And share some personal stories.
1: As we do, we'll embody the art and science of leadership so that you can become an inspiring, memorable, and effective leader. You know, the kind of leader you always wished you had. When we come across someone interesting, we'll bring them to meet you so you can share in their expertise. And I'll probably laugh a little bit along the way too.
0: So let's get started. And to begin, this week is celebrating Neurodiversity Week. Do I have that right?
1: Yes, it's uh, March 21st through March 27th is going to be is is celebrating neurodiversity week. So we're celebrating today.
0: So when we say celebrate, when I hear celebrate, um, one thing I guess I want to wrap my head around is it, it really just simply means to acknowledge publicly. And that's what we wanted to do today is acknowledge, show respect to people with neurodivergence.
1: Yeah, I think celebrate can sometimes be sort of misinterpreted as honored. And I don't think that's what we want to necessarily do. I mean, neurodivergence stuff comes with challenges as well. And also people who are neurodivergent, just like anybody else, it's like, I don't want to be honored. I just want to be the person that I am and be accepted and included for that, you know, acknowledged publicly and, and just seen.
0: And that's a great point. You know, when you and I started talking about this topic, I quickly realized that how much I did not know about this and how much I want people to understand this idea of neurodivergence and we'll get into you will help us understand what that is just a few minutes i want people to see this as more than just a label and when i mentioned to you that i saw people with neurodivergence as people with a unique skill set or overlooked that's where i was coming from because people don't think about what others can do or you know how to play to people's strengths instead they were my perception is they were looking at them you know as, as labels and i I want to get away from that.
1: Well, I think this is part of why it's important and difficult to talk about diversity in whatever version of diversity we're talking about. Because like you said, it's people with a unique skill set or it's people with a label. And that doesn't necessarily value me for what I want to be valued for. So I don't always want to be valued for what I can do. Sometimes I do. Sometimes if I'm at work, that is what I want. I want somebody to notice, hey, I'm good at these things, but I'm a human. So value me for who I am and for the things that I value about myself. And that's where I think we have the biggest problem in terms of neurodivergent people interacting with the neurotypical world that is set up. Because the more we impinge, we people with neurodivergencies impinge on the neurotypical world. And I am us theming here a little bit, which I try not to do, but sometimes comes out. But the more we do that, the less value we seem to have to the world. It's like, please learn to conform to the way that the world is set up, even though that is not your natural way of being. And the more that we don't do that and cause trouble, the less value we have. You know, I don't have a value. I don't have value just because I can find amazing patterns or connect diverse ideas or because And I don't lose value because my constant twitching or my need for a particular environment isn't convenient for you. I'm a human and that's I have value.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. So let's, let's start the conversation with what do you mean by neurodiversity? And is that different from neurodivergence? Because we use both of those terms.
1: Yeah, so it's a great question because this vocabulary is it's there, but it's kind of still getting set in people's minds. So neurodiversity is the concept that brains operate differently, that there are variations among human brains and that not all brains are the same. And that this kind of variance is normal across the human spectrum. It also can refer to a group. So you can have a group that is neurodiverse. So you have neuro- different kinds of neurotypes or different kinds of brain operation in that group. But a person cannot be neurodiverse because they don't have multiple kinds of brain operation going. So neurodiversity is across a group, these brains operate differently. Neurodivergence means that some brains operate far enough outside the norm of neurodiversity spectrum to be noticeably different from others. So that usually goes into the categories of autistic, ADHD, dyslexic, gifted, dyspraxic, pretty much if it's got a "dis" in front of it, it probably goes into the, the neurodivergent category. And an individual is neurodivergent. They have a brain that diverges from what is the typical norm. It's not a group thing.
0: So I was going to say, what? so why is that distinction important then when we're looking at it that way?
1: Well, because words matter. I mean, like, I mean, obviously vocabulary, it always comes back to that, but, um, you know, neurodiversity encompasses an overall concepts and from that comes the idea of neurodivergence, but neurodiversity applies to the whole of humanity. Neurodivergence does not.
0: I like that. So it sounds like either you've been reading, uh, Lee Child's book series, Jack Reacher, or you've, uh, Amazon prime folks, because the character is always saying details matter, words matter. Yes.
1: Absolutely. This line of thinking for me is definitely coming from an ex-military guy who's doing all kinds mm-hmm. of action stuff on Amazon Prime. That's absolutely where the source of most of my thinking comes from.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so when people, when I first was made aware of this, you know, this idea of neurodiversity and neurodivergence, you know, one of the things that I was afraid to ask or embarrassed to ask is, is this a disability?
1: So, it depends on who you talk to, and it depends on the context. And I can only speak for what's in the United States because I am not that versed in the worldly ways of these things yet. In the US, some of these things can be termed a disability. And the reason to do that and to get a diagnosis or to get that label is to get services that support people under the Americans with Disability Acts. So, that shows up as kids in schools to receive accommodations, for instance, you know, for an ADHD or to get time and a half on a test. That's the practical version of that. Um, it's also supposed to protect people at work and get them accommodations. That's a little more touch and go. But for people who are neurodivergent, it's not a disability as in like, I lack some ability that others have it's just a different brain it's a different way of thinking of processing and of understanding the world disabilities are seen as limitations which is is how a lot of people see autism ADHD etc you know that's why we have applied behavior behavioral analysis to kind of fix autism right but a lot of people say that is not a helpful thing because you're trying to make this brain fit into this other mold. And it, and it doesn't. So it's not a limitation. It's a difference. You know, for those of us who are neurodivergent, we don't think of our brains as limited as a primary characteristic.
0: Right. And that was one of the things that surprised me to find out was that genius level intelligence is neurodivergent, right? It's outside the typical.
1: I mean, quite often, it's who you ask if they put giftedness under neurodivergence. I do because I also live in the, in the gifted world and that's my research. And from what I can tell, those brains are a lot different. You know, they have Mm -hmm. a qualitatively different experience of being in the world as part of the definition of giftedness. So, yeah. I mean, where do you think these ideas are coming from? Like the, just on LinkedIn the other day, a young woman, young, young black woman who created a new kind of searcher suture, excuse me, that changes color when it becomes infected. She's 17.
0: What? That's insane.
1: Like a neurodivergent brain came up with that. Not somebody who thinks inside the box, right? Not somebody who thinks the way everybody else thinks. It's somebody who says, what about this crazy idea? And then makes it happen.
0: So I think that helps to at least in part answer my question. My next question, which is why then is neurodiversity something managers should pay attention to?
1: I think we did answer that question to some extent, yeah. but it's, for the, I mean, it's the same reason we encourage other kinds of diversity, right? Teams with greater diversity that respect that diversity have been found to be more effective than more similar teams. And that gets quoted a lot, except it gets quoted as teams with greater diversity are more effective. It's teams with greater diversity that respect that diversity. Ooh. So that's why it's something to pay attention to and not just sort of let happen is, you know, that person who doesn't quite fit, doesn't, you know, doesn't laugh at the same jokes, makes jokes that nobody else gets, all of those kinds of things. It's also going to have different ideas. Like they're coming from a different cognitive space. So like, you know, you don't judge him by his jokes, judge him by his ideas or or judge her in this particular case, her ideas, because you're going to get some gold. You're going to get some stinkers too, but you know, just like anybody else, but but you know, it's going to be a difference.
0: So how how then, or how else can managers approach looking at this idea of neurodiversity as something we need to take into account under, let's say this umbrella of diversity.
1: Well, look, if I'm a manager, I'm thinking the more perspectives I can get in a room, the more likely I am to have considered all of the ideas, ramifications, potential ways of thinking about whatever problem the team is trying to solve or address. So I want people from different backgrounds. I want people with different ethnicities, different genders, different different neurotypes different levels of education you know all these things and someone who full on processes the world differently someone who has who is neurodivergent is going to be valuable in ideating and evaluating those ideas from a different from a different perspective than most of the other people in the room and people with different kinds of neurodivergences or even you know two autistic people or two ADHDers are going to have what you know could have wildly different perspectives even though they they share the same kind of neurodivergence because those brains just are operating
0: differently. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I know this in organizational behavior, it's so relevant when we talk about this. And part of me is still frustrated that societally, we're still in this awareness phase of, or only in the awareness phase of diversity. When we, you talk about getting more perspectives in the room, that's so valuable. Right. There's so much goodness in that because homogenized groups, while they work well together, they have a, a certain ebb and flow, they're very limited in their problem solving, in their ideating, in their capacity to think new thoughts. Whereas the heterogeneous group, you know, this group that has more perspectives comes up with better ideas. So the question then is, how do I right, how do I not mess this up, mess this up? How do I get more people in the room? How do I, maybe this is intimidating for someone who's a manager or works in human resources, you know, without knowing more about this idea of neurodiversity, neurodivergence. How do we get people outside of our typical social circle into the room and get get them a seat at the table?
1: I love that you bring up outside of our social circle. There's a exercise that, that I recently have been doing with some teams that is your trusted three exercise. And what you do is you put sort of like all the different kinds of diversity down the left side of the page. And across the top, you have three columns of your top three trusted people who you're not related to. And then you check which things that you have in common. And it's really incredible and a little startling for most people, how much they have in common with that, like their top board of directors. So it is about like, you have to mindfully reach outside your social circle. But to your question, how do I not mess this up? My coaching question would be, how how can you know more about neurodiversity and neurodivergence rather than how can I not mess this up? So from what I can see, you're asking the questions like these that you need to help this. Like all the questions that you're asking are gonna help you not mess this up or my version, learn more about neurodiversity and neurodivergence. In general though, I would say the first thing, and like you said, we're still at this awareness point, The first thing would just be open to the concept. Neurodiversity is a thing. Neurodivergence is a thing. It's also not super visible at all times. You can't look at someone and say necessarily they're autistic or they have ADHD. So asking questions that seek understanding is not not a bad way to go. Um, With the understanding that some people who are falling in these categories may have trouble answering your questions depending on how they're asked, depending on the situation in which they're asked, all that kind of stuff. Because like I said, the neurodivergencies create opportunities and also create challenges to some of the the natural, the the normal, I should say, not natural, but the normal ways that we have set up in society of like exchanging communication and that sort of stuff.
0: So I'm going to go back to the military caveman mentality and I don't want to mess up, right? I want to ask questions.
1: When (laughs) do you come out of the military caveman mentality? I'm, I'm waiting for that moment. That'll be fun.
0: So what questions can I or should I ask to get this better understanding?
1: So I'm going to give you some examples, but honestly, these are questions you could be asking anybody in your crew, not just people who are neurodivergent, right? A lot of what the strategies are to support neurodivergent folks in the workplace are strategies to support people, humans in the workplace. So some of the questions are really basic and, and physical, like, you know, what do you need to be comfortable Physically, what is your environment like? There have been a lot of LinkedIn posts lately I've seen of people with who are autistic or who are ADHDers that work so much better from home because they can control the temperature and the lighting and the electric buzzing and the sound level and all those sort of things. How do you work best? You know, like what are the conditions overall that you need? What kind of work energizes you? What kind of work de-energizes you to kind of find that person's strengths and what you can draw from them and also know when they need to do a certain kind of work that's going to de-energize and how you can support them. How do you prepare to interact with a team? How do you prepare to interact one-on-one? Like, what do you need? Introverts, for instance, we know this, come up with their best ideas two to 48 hours after the meetings. You always want to leave some sort of opening for them after the meeting to contribute their ideas. They also do better, and a lot is true for a lot of divergent, neurodivergent people. If you give them an agenda, tell me what's coming, let me understand what's what's up, and then I can get my brain in the right place to do the best work for you. So, those kinds of things. But, like I said, those are things we should be asking everybody.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's to me, it's mind boggling that we're not doing this already because to me, it's the opposite of one size fits all. Yes. And from my experience working with different organizations, one size fits all uh, leads to just poor management styles and just such low performance that it aligns itself with, well, that's the way we've always done it. And to get out of that, we have to ask new questions. We have to present, you know, try new ways or think about things differently. So I I like how those questions you said can be, they should be applied to everybody. Mm -hmm. So what are, what then are some examples? I, I think we talked about them earlier, but neurodiversity. What does that look like for the, for what we're talking about in in terms of our context?
1: So some examples of neurodivergence, not neurodiversity, but neurodivergence are some of the things that I did mention earlier. So people are somewhat familiar with autism, ADHD, dyslexia. Those are more common terms, right? I also include giftedness. Like I said, Um, one of the reasons I think it's not included here sometimes is because neurodivergencies are often seen as, as limitations to people who are neurotypical and giftedness isn't seen as a limitation. However, they have the same kinds of like special needs for environment and sensitivities and intensities, you know, a and, and very active nervous system. So I put them under there. Dyscalculia, which is um, sort of like dyslexia but with numbers. Ooh. Dyspraxia, a lack of awareness of the body in space, so constantly running into things, bumping things. More, than, and everybody's going to say, "Well, I sometimes bump into things." No, like it's pervasive and it is interfering with your life at times. Right. That's really the difference in sometimes I don't pay attention. Like, it, like so I have a touch of ADHD. I have a touch of is one of the worst things you can probably say to someone with a neurodivergency. Like, everybody's got a touch of ADHD. No, it's not interfering with your life on a regular basis. Then no, you don't. You're just late sometimes. Okay. So same thing with things like dyspraxia, dyslexia. You know, yeah, you may run, run into stuff sometimes, but is it, a, is it a pervasive part of your life that is you're constantly working with? And, and each of these kinds of divergences, like you can't just say neurodivergence have these needs. Each kind of neurodivergence has its own needs because it has its own sort of uh, challenges. And even more so, each person within each category has their own needs. So if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. You can't necessarily expand on that. We talk about sort of some general characteristics of those in each in each one of those, but you know, each person needs to be looked at individually. And that could be exhausting as a manager and like try to figure that out. And to make it even more fun, a lot of these neurodivergencies are co-occurring. So the overlap between autism and ADHD is pretty strong, for instance, some of the other ones too, ADHD and dyslexia. So if you're dealing with one neurodivergency, you may actually be dealing with two or three.
0: Okay. Wow. It's a lot for me to take in. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this as you were talking, I, I first started thinking about this. Okay. So in terms of like, oh, they're on the spectrum of this, but it sounds like with what you just said that that word spectrum is wrong. So is that a fair statement?
1: I think so. It's not like autism is more or less divergent from the norm than ADHD. They're both just different from the norm and different from each other, although they have some overlapping characteristics. Technically, autism in the the DSM-5, the diagnostic manual that psychiatrists and neurologists and docs use, is called autism spectrum disorder. There used to be a separate category for Asperger's, but now that's called high-functioning autism spectrum disorder. There's a lot of discussion about that in the autistic community. And there's actually a hashtag you can check out that's hashtag actually autistic. The people who use who are actually autistic, like here's my point of view. And really like high functioning autism, for instance, actually describes you're closer to the norm and you're not as bothersome to the rest of us. So the functioning is a measure against how close are you to normal? So people in the autistic community or in other neurodivergent communities You know, not quite as well labeled as high functioning autism, but those kinds of words and and using that kind of idea of a spectrum is really like, how far are you from normal? How much are you a pain in the neck to everybody around you? Hmm. And so, you know, those of us with with these different kinds of brains kind of object to that comparison. And that's it's a lot different from what we're saying here, which is that these neurodivergencies being a different kind of brain, they're not something to be compared to anything else. I
0: just cringe when I. As I hear you say it, I cringe at this idea of somebody has defined normal, right? Yeah. Like it's, they've just come up with this, whatever, this standard and said, okay, this is from this point, from this fixed point, there are standard deviations. So mm-hmm. with that, then what are the standard range of challenges that neurodivergent folks will encounter?
1: Well, like I said before, like it's make a generalized statement, except that you can't generalize for neurodivergent people. So, you know, just keeping, just keeping, keep putting that out there and keeping it in mind. But I feel like the biggest challenge across the board is this feeling that they don't fit.
0: Okay. So what does that mean that they don't fit?
1: So the world isn't really made for neurodivergent people. We're in the minority, you know, and as other minority populations will tell you, the world is made for the majority. And, and in this category, you know, the majority is the neurotypical world, people whose brains function enough like each other that uh, they can they can see each other, they can fit with each other, they they grok each other. So like things that seem easy or common sense to most people aren't necessarily so easy for many of our neurodivergent people. For instance, social skills can be a problem because brains aren't necessarily born with an inherent ability to read the room. Communication can be a problem because neurodivergent people don't necessarily think in straight lines that can be easily described to more linear neurotypical folks. I just was talking to a woman a couple of weeks ago and she was saying, People you all don't understand me when I'm trying to explain an idea, when I first try to explain it and they kind of dismiss me and it's really frustrating. And as we dug into it coaching, it turns out she kind of like starts talking in the middle of her mental conversations. She kind of is coming at it sideways. And so that's the information that they're getting is this you know, divergent way of thinking and she's not giving them all of the, the background because that's the way she thinks. Environment can be a problem because so many neurodivergencies have sensory sensitivities associated with them. And the funny thing about social skills and communication is there've been studies that show for gifted people and for autistic people, and I've seen ADHDers talk about it even though I don't know if there's a study for it. But when you put a bunch of gifted people in a room together the communication and social problems mostly disappear. It's sort of the, one of the arguments for magnet schools for gifted kids. Same thing with autistic people. You don't see nearly the communication or social problems when you put a group of autistic people together and ask them to like chat. They get each other better. All of this really is that it's not the different brain in isolation that is the challenge. It's having that different brain in a world made for most other brains in a neurotypical world that is the challenge. It's that fit.
0: Wow. that's I didn't even realize that those communication issues went away. When you put cohorts of people that fall into that category together, that's, to me, that's impressive, but it's also, it begs more questions. Sure. So then as a manager, what can I do to make sure that, you know, you said sometimes people feel like they don't fit. It's not made for the neurotypical world. What can I do to make sure that they feel like they fit so that they feel included?
1: So, you know, again, some of the things I'm going to say are true for everybody. Putting that out there first. But the first thing is make space for them to be their best selves at work rather than trying to be the way everyone else is. You know, if they seem weird, if they seem quirky, if you don't understand something they do, instead of labeling it as weird, quirky, or what the heck is that person doing? Ask, ask the question, right? And see how, what is that attached to? Because that may be attached to some really cool idea or some way that they think that you don't understand yet. If they propose an idea that sounds off the wall, again, ask questions rather than discarding it out of hand. You probably didn't get all of the pieces that were in their brain the first time. So help them get that idea out of their head. People who are neurodivergent, we are very used to being looked at like we have three heads when we put an idea out there because it's it's difficult to understand or we didn't explain it well enough or there's, there's that communication gap. So that also makes it more difficult for us to want to put ideas out there because we want to avoid those reflections. So Try not to give those reflections instead be like that's interesting i don't quite understand it yet can you help me and you know can you tell me a little bit more about that or i think i'm missing the jump from a to b what's what's in between there you know so help them if they make social gaps maybe coach people on how to interact for a better results but don't react respond right don't let your immediate this is different from me so therefore i'm going to respond in a in a fight flight or freeze kind of way go huh something different is happening let me choose what i want to do here you know and and de-escalate that because i tell you what most people many people who have these neurodivergencies are used to making social gaps they're used to messing it up they're constantly scared they're going to do it again because we can't figure out the social rules social rules don't make sense really if you think about it and so it's gonna be hard it can be hard to kind of get your brain brain around those when your brain's thinking in different ways um like i said earlier accommodate their sensory needs as much as possible so you get the best out of them Those things aren't tough to do. Temperature, light, work from home, those sort of things. But basically, treat them like however they are is normal because it is normal for them. They're natural is their normal. So make that normal versus treating them like they're weird for not being normal like everybody else is, for their natural not being like everyone else's natural way of being.
0: So
1: that's, you know, yeah. So I gave you a lot of download there.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm taking it all in. It's, it's so good. So what I like about what you've said, many things I like, one of the things is it's applicable to everybody. So regardless of neurotypical or neurodivergent, you should be doing most, if not all of this stuff anyway, at least as a good manager. Mm-hmm. The second part, I thought that was pretty impactful. It's this, this secret behind better leadership is the coaching part, right? You said, don't react, respond. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important for managers to understand that part of our job is to help people grow, mm-hmm. to help them get better. So one of the best ways to do that is to help coach them along. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we need to come back to that in a week or two or three, talking about how to help people become better coaches because I think mm-hmm. that's going to be a strong part.
1: What we're doing today is sort of the first step for everything. Because what we're doing today is just saying, here's what this is. Get familiar, you know? And so a lot of companies are opening their minds more to neurodivergencies and, and to neurodiversity in their populations. You know, so there are people like me, and I, you know, I do this, but but there are others out there too. You know, have them in for a one hour lunch and learn. Here, Here managers, learn about this. You just get in an intro. Just put it in their heads for the first time because that's where we are with a lot of with a lot of people there are still so many people that i meet when i say i'm a neurodiversity coach or i'm a neuro, coach for neurodivergent folks and they don't know those words yet and that's okay i don't mind explaining them but like the less i have to explain those words the better off i think that we're doing in society
0: yeah I agree. So then that begs the question, let's give the listeners some takeaways here. How do we bridge that gap between, we'll say, lack of awareness and awareness is the starting point. So for me, what I know, the neurotypical perspective, the more I learn from you and read about this, you know, and read about people who are neurodivergent. I see such great capability that in my role as leadership coach, organizational behavior guy, I see, I feel like this, I'm seeing the next big seismic shift. Hmm. As I'm saying that, I'm thinking, you know, fellow neurotypicals embrace the discomfort of this unknown place and see this for yourself as an opportunity to grow as a person, as a leader, Right? you've got to lean into the discomfort because that's how you're going to grow.
1: Yeah, I love that. But and I think this is the same as any new frontier or any kind of diversity. And what's been shown is a whole group that's different from you seems incredibly foreign. But if you get to know one person, just get to know a single person, those categories and labels fall away, and you just know Adam as Adam, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not as Adam the neurodivergent person or Adam the neurotypical person. So, like, get to know one single person and understand them, then do that, do it again do it some more. And before you know it, these will just be people in your life that you understand in a different way than you understand other people. But, but the same kind of, you know, you know, Joe is good at this and you know, Darquavian is good at that. And you know that this neurodivergent person is good at this and that they need that. Like it's know those individuals. Yeah. That's how the labels fall away.
0: Fear. I I've said this before. Fear of the unknown is one of the biggest fears of all. The way to, oh, for sure. Right. So, to get over that fear, you have to go from the unknown to the known. So, I like that. Yeah. Get to know people, you know, on an individual basis. My second thought, my second takeaway was like with other types of diversity, neurodiversity is a competitive advantage. I'm not trying to objectify, but I see intrinsic value in having such a diverse group of people. And that can't be understated. N- managers, neurotypicals, just remember they're people first. Everyone has inherent value and should be respected. So start there and open up your social circle, your whatever, and get more value.
1: So I'm totally on board with this one because it's sort of an overall principle, right? Mm -hmm. Look for the strengths in your people. It's just be open to the idea that they're not the way that you're used to seeing them. And I'm sorry we're in takeaways, but something just occurred to me from what you said, Mm -hmm. which is we're talking about this like managers are managing the neurodivergent folks. But your managers may also be neurodivergent folks, mm-hmm. right? So for people who are interacting with their managers and finding them strange, like find it's the same instruction whether you're managing up, managing down, managing horizontally, however you're interacting. Um, but it's not like neurodivergent folks can't be good managers; they can be great managers. Yeah, um, you know if their strengths are recognized and they're put in the right place, just like anyone else. So had to throw that in there.
0: No, I think it's good because that ties to my third point, which is everybody wants to be valued and respected. So whether the neurodivergent is the follower or the leader, the employee or the manager or whatever, we all want that place where we feel, you know, love, valued and respected. So my third takeaway for this is to be more inclusive. And that begins with opening up the proverbial tent so that I'm not going to say everyone's welcome everyone has to feel welcomed, right? You've got to meet them where they're at. Let me say this, ditch that us, them mindset. You have just got to be welcoming of everybody, make them feel welcomed, give her to that perspective and have this conversation. For me, the best conversations are about experience, life experience, and see how that can make the, the workplace more inviting, more welcoming instead of forcing this idea of conformity onto people who are neurodivergent.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think all of that's true. And I also wanted to say as a coda to my neurodivergent folks out there, I know it often doesn't feel safe just out in the world because we've had so many rejection and shame experiences along the way. We've had so many reflections that we're doing it wrong, that we're weird, that no, that doesn't make any sense. And so it can be scary to like, everybody says, be authentic in your job, bring your whole self to work. And a lot of times, I don't feel like I'm safe to do that. Like that has not had a good outlook outcome for me. But I think the more people learn about this, and the more we can help people understand us, just like anyone else, that part, you know, the fewer of those rejection shame experiences we're going to have, and the fewer other people coming behind us are going to have. So look for those safe spaces where you can be you, and help other's people see their value and what you bring to the table. That may help. You know, some coaching might help to be able to bridge that communication gap. It's going to take some courage to put yourself out there. It may not be successful every time. Hopefully that rejection sensitivity dysphoria doesn't act up too much for my ADHD years and that kind of thing. But take those invitations where you find them and venture out a little bit, get the support you need to do it. Cause like I said, it's a scary thing to do, but I think that more and more there are people who are trying to understand and value you value us. So help them do it.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I agree. I, and I just caution my managers. You know out there, my my fellow leaders, my typical leaders, people are a product of their experience. So if you open up the tent and somebody feels hesitant to accept your invitation, it's not a slight on you. It's a reflection of the experience that they've had, like you just said, Tracy, maybe they've felt shamed or embarrassed or ridiculed before. It's our job as leaders to help overcome that and provide them that safe place where they can come in at their own, you know, timing, feel welcomed and start to make their movement to us. We have to wait for the person who's had the negative experience. We can't just say, fine, you don't want my help. Don't take it. Right. That's to me, that's one of the big cautionary flags I am going to put out there.
1: And, and, you know, having introduced this whole, this whole thing, Mm-hmm. And um, I'm looking at Adam's face. And even though we've talked about this before, he's kind of like, yep, that was a lot. You know, feel free to email the pod, uh, email me. I'm happy to answer more questions or just give it, you know, advice, coach you through something like, I know this is new for a lot of people. So whatever help I can provide to make this easier for the whole population, you know, on whatever angle you're coming to coming to it from.
0: What's your um, email address so people can help. reach you?
1: My personal email address is Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at nerdcoach, and it's N-E-R-D-C-O-A dot C-H. So that's T-R-A-C-Y at N-E-R-D-C-O-A dot C-H. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Tracy Winter.
0: All right. Well. Thank you, Tracy. I really appreciate the conversation about this and leaders out there. We, you know, we hope you got some incredible value out of this and, uh, you know, uncovering this, this secret here for what I think is one of the next big seismic shifts, but also how to improve yourself just by being aware of this, this idea of neurodiversity. And let's take time this week to celebrate it. So I would ask, where can we find more information? I know you're going to post some stuff. This week about yep. that?
1: So if you connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm going to be posting stuff. I have been posting stuff about the neurodivergent perspective and sort of what do you need to know about that? What are some interesting things? I think you're going to see if you use the hashtag neurodiversity, neurodivergent, actually autistic, ADHD, you're going to find all kinds of stuff you know that people are posting out there right now. Neurodivergent Rebel, I think she posts mostly, mostly on Facebook and Twitter. She's a great resource for understanding the autistic point of view, especially and there's, there's plenty more out there. And I just want to take a minute and say, thank you, Adam, because for this, for your curiosity and for these questions and leaders, if you want to know what to do, do what Adam just did. What he did is beautiful and encouraging and supportive. So if you want to know what, to, you know, where to start, start modeling yourself after what Adam just did.
0: Well, thank you. Get, yeah. Get overwhelmed by a lot of questions and things that Tracy <laughs> put out. That's easy. In my defense, my brain is not that big, so it's easy to overwhelm. <laughs> Oh, dear. All right, listeners, thanks so much for joining in. We really appreciate you guys taking the time. Uh, You could have been, you know, walking your goldfish, but you chose to spend it with us. So we really appreciate that.
1: Yep. Have Have a great week. Celebrate yourselves as well as you celebrate people who are not like you.
0: Yep. All right, guys, take care.